So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and before we get in, I, I just want to remind you that this, this passage is a very well-known one, and it's been some time since, I don't know, for me anyway, that I've ever gone there for a sermon, and maybe you've heard a sermon about David and Goliath, right? We know the story about David and Goliath, and, and there's a lot in that chapter. I'm not going to read that chapter, but I'll reference some of the verses, but we know the story, right? The Israelites and the Philistines, uh, their opposing armies, and there's something that I want to just preface before we get into the sermon to, to, sermon to keep in the back of your mind because it applies to our lives and how we go through our lives. And so the, the, the story of the, the David and Goliath and the Philistines and the Israelites being on either side of that valley is all about a showdown between God and any, any other God. And that God would demonstrate that he's the ultimate authority and he is the one true God. In fact, that happened with uh, God's people and the Israelites when they crossed the Red Sea with Pharaoh. That was a display in the end. The whole point of that was to show that God should get all the glory and the nation should see that God gets all the glory when God delivered them out of that bondage and through the Red Sea. All about God's glory and God being the Almighty One and how great is our God. We can sing about that, right? And, and, so we, and I thank God that, that, that uh, we have those accounts in Scripture to remind us of that. And so this is what's happening here as well when the Israelites are, are opposing the Philistines. And every day in chapter 17, and you'll, you'll see that Goliath, this nine-foot man, right? I mean, you know, you've seen all kinds of caricatures. You've seen cartoons. You've seen videos. You've seen movies. You see red things. He was a giant man, literally, and he would come out with, with so much of his armor, and he had an armor bearer, and this huge spear with a 15-pound tip. Think about that. A 15-pound tip. That's as much as a, a bowling ball, just the tip of his spear. And he would come out, and he would taunt the Israelites and all of God's people and their God, God himself. He would taunt. And he would challenge. And he would, he would come out and make a scene and be loud and brash. And he would just say, listen, here's the deal. To summarize, you know this. You send a man to fight me. If that man defeats me, we will serve you forever. But, but if, if I defeat you, you serve us forever. That was his challenge. That's what he was calling out the Israelites for. It was all about who you'd submit to. And God had his people's back, but he had his people's back in a way that you wouldn't expect or think, which is so often the case in history, isn't it? Right? The things you never think or imagine or how God would do it he does it, and then he blows our minds, or he confounds those who think they know the better way or the best way to handle something. But listen, God has a plan that is huge, right? And it's all about his glory, but it's about preserving and keeping his people. And the thing is, in, there's a parallel here, because when, and you've seen the movies and Facing the Giants and all the other things and, and all the underdog stories and movies we've seen, so many of them that we've seen over the years that have come out, like football ones and sports ones, right, with the underdogs. I like those movies. Who doesn't like the underdog to win, right? Right? That's why I'm not rooting for Boston today, the Bruins. Sorry, Wes. Um, <laughs> I'm teasing. I love the underdogs. I think it's, everybody does, especially when they're heavy underdogs. And so the Israelites are, are underdogs in this case. But we, we in this life, there's so much craziness. There are so many obstacles. There's so much opposition. Because ultimately, our life is really about this. Exactly what the, what the Israelites faced here. It's, it's our God, and then it's every other God opposing God, the one true God. 
That's what it is. It's a battle. Until Jesus comes, it's, it's constantly a spiritual battle that is going on. Light versus darkness, good versus evil, God versus Satan and all his minions. That's what it comes down to. It's all about what we don't see physically with our eyes, but it's happening all around us, and then it affects all what we do with our behaviors, our attitudes, and how things manifest in this life physically. It's all spiritual warfare. Here's the thing. Will we seize the opportunities that we have around us to be victorious and to be overcomers? And in our text, there was this opportunity for the Israelites. But God's people, including King Saul, allowed the Philistines and Goliath to be. Now, when I say this, I'm being careful. Because you can never be an obstacle to God's plan, ultimately. Okay? But let me say, but I will say this. They were, that God's people, and even Saul, were really an, they would allow the Philistines to be an obstacle to God's plan for his people. Momentarily, and for a while, they did. Because it didn't have to be that way. God still had a plan. And it always comes out the way he wants. I understand that. But they allowed the Philistines and Goliath to be in the way from moving forward and being all that God wanted them to be. See, there are certain characteristics in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel that have been trends. And there are certain trends I see, and they might be trends today in your life, or in this world, or even in the church as a whole, on some cases, and even historically. And I want to point these out to you, and, and even as our lives collectively, as the Church of Christ, we should take these to heart and know how to defeat or overcome these trends that allow the obstacle to remain there. Right? And so I'm going to share five of them from our text. You might find others, but I'm going to share five of them. All right? I'm not going to read the chapter, but I encourage you to have your Bible app or your Bible open in front of you. Because today, and in our world, and even in our own lives, oftentimes, I see in chapter 17 this very strong trend. And it's masqueraded, it's shrouded, it's covered with so many different things and labels and ways to, to hide these things. But there's a trend of fear in our world today. I'm not here to leave you with negativity and, you know, and to leave, leave you down out. This is encouraging. You'll see there's a, there's, there's, there's a counter to all of these things I'll mention, these trends, that we can overcome them. But there is this trend of fear. There is fear in people's hearts and minds. And there's all kinds of um, heaviness that comes with it. And it's the fear of failure, right? People fear failing so they don't do anything. You may have been there. Maybe you're there now. There's that fear of the future. I don't know what's going to happen, so you know what? I'm not going to plan for the future. And then you get there, and then you're, you're afraid of the moment because you you're afraid of the future. And, and, and you might be there. And we have been there in different situations and times in our lives. Some of you, and, and a lot of us in the world, we're, there's fear of man. Fear of other people, fear of institutions that are run by men, or just groups of men, or individuals. There's fear of man. There's even fear of self. Because some people know who they are and they're afraid that anything they do is going to be a mess. It doesn't have to be that way and it shouldn't be that way. There's a fear of appearance. There's a fear of we're going to be rejected. And the list can go on and on and on. The fears that fill our lives and our world more than ever today. The fear of what is AI going to do? The fear of is the dog going to collapse? The fear of what's going on with our government? The fear of what about the economy? The fear of you fill in the blank, there's fear there's fear. 
But it doesn't have to be that way, and it shouldn't be that way. See, fear, as you know, is a paralyzer. Let's look at verse 11 in chapter 17, and as I give a really brief summary of a little bit of beginning of what's happening here. But in chapter 11, it says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, the taunts of Goliath, right? They were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were full of fear. Do you know what fear does? And most of you know this. and, And we've experienced this. Fear is a paralyzer. It paralyzes you. Now, I'm not talking about a healthy fear you run and you got to... There, we, we exhibit that, and, we, and we, we should have that, right? God's wired us that way. It made us that way. But this is a fear that just completely paralyzed and stopped them from even thinking properly about who they were. We'll get to that in a little bit. And fear is like a dam, right? Because it, and what it does, it stops up what God wants to do. It stops you and keeps the water from flowing and, and from God moving in your life and stops the flow of God's Spirit and God's plan in your life when you're full of fear, And when you are full of fear, there are things you can do. And we'll get to that again in a moment. Fear says, this is what fear says. I can't. I can't. I can't. Even if it's a whisper. You can't because. I can't because. And we fill in the blank in our mind. When we look around the circumstance and we see whatever that Goliath is in your life, if you will, that, 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 that symbolic Goliath in your life, and we just say, I can't. I can't. You know, it's too big. It's too hard. It's too strong. I can't get through this. Fear paralyzes. But secondly, fear is also contagious. Did you know that fear is contagious? Just like joy is? Fear is contagious. I don't want to bring this up, but I have to because it, it came right to my mind this week when I was preparing. And I remember we were home back in February, and uh, the television was on. I think the news was coming down. The weather, we kind of watched the weather, but the news came on, and it was, and I, I had forgotten, but it was, it was February 20th. And they were remembering, and they were doing specials on the station nightclub fire. Some of you remember that? I remember that. I was, I was at, at the Bible College. I remember that. And that was that was horrific right a hundred people died and 230 or so were were injured in in this this crammed into this this club and the the place ignited on fire and i i I don't want to bring back memories or whatever but this is what fear does right It, it it's contagious and everyone freaked out and i don't know if you saw i did and they're in my mind forever honestly the images of the people that blocked up the door the fears fired. They couldn't go anywhere. And they went in through those doors and they were, they were piled up like logs trying to get out of that door. It was tragic. It was horrible to see. But it was fear. And it crippled the, the, their ability to think properly and to take a breath, so to speak, not to, because it was smoky in there, but to calm down and be reasonable. Let's get out in order. Instead, they just stampeded. And in the end, it was disastrous. Fear is contagious. They were filled with fear, and it resulted in the loss of life and so much in, uh, injuries, you know? And, and, and we got to keep that in mind when there's a trend of fear that's going on in our world or when it creeps its ugly head in your own mind and heart, whatever circumstance or the world you live in, and it comes up, David wants us to learn something. Because when there are these trends of fear all around us, 
and we don't know what to do and we're paralyzed and we feel like, like it's, we, we, we've caught something that's been contagious and we pass it on to others, there's something we can do because David does something powerful. You know what he does? He responds to fear with faith. He responds to fear with faith. It was a statement of faith and confidence in God that he had. Listen, just to go back, look at verse 24 again. A second time, it says here, When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. They, this time, the first time, they were dismayed and afraid, and now they actually are afraid, and they run away, and they don't know what to do. They're freaking out. But look at how David responds to that in verse 26. He said, Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? If that's not faith for a little shepherd boy to come out and say that, I don't know what is. After the entire army, and the scripture records in chapter 17 earlier, that when he went out, like I said, they would hear his voice and they would back up and flee and be dismayed. And David goes out there and says, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Doesn't he understand? We are children of God. We are God's people. And he's defying God. We are the people of God, is what he's really saying. Who does he think that what he's doing is by defying our God? Listen, here's the thing. In your life, and as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, the tags, the labels on your life have been changed. Right? They've been changed. You're no longer a slave. You're free. You're no longer a son of, of the devil. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're a child of God. You're someone who was in the darkness. Now you're in light. Right? You're someone who was bound. Now you're free. And the words go on and on. The labels, the tags that you can have in your life. And David recognizes that. And he would not accept the label to say, I'm a slave to this guy who's defying God. We are now, but that will not go on. Will you say that? But it's, it's not so easy. It's not, it's, not like that. it's not that easy. You don't understand. You know, I have a history. It's my mind. It's my, 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 my disabilities. It's my... I'm not discounting those, and I don't mean to be disrespectful. I'm not. I, I, they're real. They are, just like fear is real. But you can conquer that with faith and make a statement of faith and confidence to God. Who is that Goliath in your life that's defying my God and debilitating me and stopping me and paralyzing me? Do you know how many times, this is amazing, when I did my research and I was, I was getting ready, do you know how many times, this blows my mind, I don't know. I know it's just a number, and I know it happens to work out this way, and I don't know if God intended it or not, but I have to believe maybe he did. Do you know how many times in the Bible, from Genesis to the book of Revelation, the command, fear not, is found? 365. Some of you know that. 365 times that command, fear not, or a variation of it, is found in the Bible. Gee, that's one for every day, so you're covered for the rest of your life. Fear not. Fear not. It is amazing. It's incredible, and I love it. Grab that, embrace that, that know whatever that trend of fear in your life is, wherever you are, maybe it's been a long time, you can conquer that with a statement of faith to say, wait a minute, what is that thing that's defying my God who says, 
fear not. Why? For I am with you so many times. That phrase accompanies fear not. For I am with you or your God is with you. Second Timothy, Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. And the literal Greek word is, you know what it is? Cowardliness. Cowardliness. But a spirit of power and love and discipline. Boy, if you have power, love, and discipline, you'll overcome. You can be victorious. Right? That's how those who train and in athletics or any, they, they overcome. They conquer. They're, they're not afraid of anything. They go right at it and they, they go through it. Right? Sometimes over it, but mostly through it. You, God has not given us that spirit of fear or timidity or cowardliness, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Combat and overcome the trend of fear in your life and in our world that's around us and it becomes contagious by responding to that with faith. Faith in a God who you know is the one true God and is greater than anything or anyone else in your life that comes at you. Secondly, in verse 25, I see, I see another trend. Verse 25 says this in, in the armies of God. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to define Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And they repeat that again later, actually. There is a trend today of a lot of talk. A lot of talk. A lot of talk in our world. I, I, I'm not going to pinpoint, but in different arenas in our life, there's a lot of talk, 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 talk. This is going to happen. This is what can happen. This is what should happen. But then that's all they do is talk. And that's all these, these soldiers did is talk. Look at that huge man. Do you know what happens? If you conquer him, you get this, this, X, Y, and Z. This is what happens to you. And that's all they did. They just kept talking. They even spoke of what it would take to win. And the results or the rewards of victory was this, wealth. You get the king's daughter in marriage. That's a big deal back then, right? And no more taxes. That alone should be like, I'm going to go and risk my life because the taxes are taking my life anyway, right? No more taxes, but that's all they did. You know, I wonder if I... Hmm, if I can create some kind of a weapon, because by the way, the Philistines, they were the ones who were making all the metal uh, uh, weapons for the Israelites. They, they were the metalsmiths. Israel did not have the capacity to do that this time historically. They were reliant on them. And so, you know what? They were probably thinking, I wonder if there's a way I could kind of reconfigure something that the Philistines we have from them, and we can use it against Goliath somehow. And they, they were probably planning and scheming and talking, and, and, and if we do, we could get this. And it was like a dream. It was a fantasy. It was just, but they, they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. It could be, it should be, it ought to be, but I don't think it's going to be. A lot of talk, but no action. And nothing is different today. It is all talk and no action. That Talk is cheap. We, we're affected by cheap talk, by policies in our nation and in our world. We're affected by that negatively in, in many cases. Sometimes it's good. But it's talk, 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 and there's no action. Nothing changes. Nothing gets fixed. Let that not be the case with us. David responds to all the talking. And this is what he does. He takes action. Look at verse 32. Verse 32. David said to Saul, I love his words here. Listen to these words. He says to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. 
This is David coming to the king after all that Goliath is saying. And David comes with that faith and with this proclamation. He takes action. He's going to do something. And he comes, don't let anyone be freaking out because of this guy. After all he's been doing for 40 days in a row. And he goes to Saul and he says this. Don't let anyone freak out or let their hearts sink or get, get, get deflated right, because of what's going on. Don't listen to this guy. And he goes and he says this to the king in verse 32. And look at verse 40. If you jump ahead to verse 40. I'm reading from the the, the Bible here. It says, And he took his stick in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in the shepherd's bag which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. We're fast-forwarding, but he gets permission, and he goes, and he's going to go to battle against Goliath. He goes. He moves. He puts one foot in front of the other and he takes action. And he goes and he does what he knows how to do best. And he uses the tools that God has given him and he approaches the giant. Are you backtracking? Are you standing still? Are you cowering? Whatever that giant is in your life. Or are you moving forward towards it? Are you moving forward towards it? God wants us to be like David and respond to all the talk of what could be, that thing which brings fear to us or to those around us, and now we take action. David says, I'll fight him, and the king is like, did I just hear that? You're going to go fight him. Yes, I'm going to go fight him. And he never backed down. He never backed down, even with the king, and he was persistent. And then he approached the Philistine, and he went on the offensive. He ran after the victory, and he did something to get it. What are you doing? Are you moving forward? Not in your own power, in the power of God, in the name of God, and with the tools he's given you. Don't give in and don't be part of just all the talk and the chatter of what could be. Take action to make it a reality now so that it is. Amen? Thirdly, in verse 28, this is a trend that has been around since the fall. Well, all of these are, really. But there's another trend here that I see in chapter 17. It's found in verse 28. David, when he hears about what's going on earlier in the chapter, he's this little boy, and his father, Jesse, says, you've got to go to your three older brothers, check on them, and bring them food, bring them loaves of bread. And I love it. One of the translations says he gave them uh, basically uh, three cut, ten cuts of cheese. I love how it said that. I forgot what translation, but... Ten pieces of cheese. Now, I don't know. Hopefully they weren't just like a, you know, craft American sliced cheese, because that's not much, you know. But I don't know. Was it provolone? Was it, I don't know what it was, you know. Was it sharp cheddar? I like sharp cheddar. I don't know. Was it, was it like, a, like a little, like a, a pretty thick wedge? I don't know. But he brought ten pieces to his brothers, along with the grains and the bread. And he brings them to his brothers. And that was his job. And while he goes there... Something happens because David is in, he's seeing what's going on while the giant comes and David has a reaction to it, right? And his big brother comes and in verse 28, it says, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the man and Eliab's anger burned against David and he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? What an insult. I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. You little punk brother. How dare you? 
You don't belong on the battle line, on the front line. And you came down here because you just want to be part of the action. But you're not deserving. You shouldn't be here. You have other commands from Father Jesse. And what are you doing here? What do you think you are? You're too small. You're too young. You're not prepared. You can't do anything. And all the while, their brothers have been running away from the, the giant. Like they should speak. Like they should speak. What are you doing? He had been passed over for kingship after Saul. Eliab had earlier, right? And David's youthful enthusiasm was knocked down by his own brother. Probably had some issues there and he had an attitude. And all the other more experienced people in the camp, right? His enthusiasm, his faith was being challenged. See, here's what the critic says. Because there's a trend of criticism now that happens like never before in our world, all over the place. And we all feel it and we all hear it. What are you doing? You, you can't be doing that. You don't belong here. You're just here to get recognized, he says. Or maybe it's you're trying to earn some sort of position and get favor and cut it out, knock it off. You don't deserve it. You're not worthy of it. And criticism, when it's not constructive, by the way, when it's not constructive, it discourages. Amen? When it's not constructive. And, and it, it also it breaks trust when there's criticism without constructive words and thoughts along with it. And even further, it brings division. It's just a separation between David and his brothers, and his brother made sure to keep it that way. You don't belong here, you belong up there because we're older, we're experienced, and we've been chosen, and we should be here. What are you doing down here, little kid? It brings divisions. And ultimately, criticism that's not constructive, it destroys. It destroys self, others. And ultimately, as Christians, criticism destroys our testimony. It destroys our testimony. Criticism oftentimes is, can be labeled as friendly fire. Sometimes we think we're well-meaning, but it's friendly fire. You know what David does? You know how he responds to criticism? And I am going to read a little bit into the Scripture here because I think we can. In verse 30, he responds to this criticism in verse 30. He asked all these things. And Eliab says, why have you come down to do this? And look at verse 30. 29, David says, what have I done now? What do I do now? Right? Was it not just a question? That's what he says. And then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as before. What was the same thing as before? What are you doing here, little kid? Get back there. Go get some more cheese for us, for crying out. We'll call you cheese boy. <laughs> go. Go back to daddy. What are you doing? Criticize and knock down. And go get, put him in his place, right? Because he's young and small. And over, he got the same response. You know what he did? David responded to criticism. It says he looked other places. Because he responds to the criticism by looking for encouragement. And he found none. He found none. He got the same answer every time. But he was looking for encouragement. He was looking for something to bolster and share that faith that he had in a God who was their God as a nation of Israel. Looking for encouragement and to, to get the people riled up, if you will, in their faith and to get going and get, a, get on the offensive and to go towards the giant and not away from him and cower and be cowardly. David responds by looking 
for encouragement. He moved away from criticism. Let me tell you something. If you are living in a situation where all you get is criticism, I want to I encourage you. I want to encourage you. It's okay to move away from that. It is. It is. I'm not, I, again, there's a distinction between constructive criticism and criticism. But if all you're doing is getting criticized, if you are able, get away from that and find encouragement with other brothers and sisters in the Word of God and in calling out to God, the Holy Spirit lift you up. Get away from that criticism. Criticism destroys. It deflates you. It smashes you. It makes you feel like you're, well, nothing. If I could say it that way. That's what it does. Move away. Be an encourager instead. Be an encourager. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, the Apostle Paul says this. And I have to, I'm going to flip there because I, I'm going to, I don't want to misspeak. But Philippians 4, Ephesians 4.29, Paul says this. He says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. Another translation says that encourages and builds up. Okay? And according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Criticism doesn't do that. David chose to keep looking for encouragement and ultimately he found it in his heart of faith when he connected with God and he knew who he was and he knew how great God was and he trusted him and he moved forward. But we see another trend. We'll go quickly. Another trend in verse 33. In verse 33, there is this trend of doubt. A trend of doubt that is, is filling the camp and all around God's people and David has a response for that as well. Going back to 1 Samuel 17, bear with me for one second. And in verse 33, we find these words. Then Saul said to David, this is, this is after David comes to him, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. And he's making a contract, there's doubt. I don't see, I'm being realistic I don't, want to be, I don't want to be negative, David. I don't want to criticize. I don't want to put you down, but I'm just being realistic. I don't know. Do you realize who you're going up against? You're just a kid, and he's been fighting since he's been a kid. He's got experience, and he's big. He's powerful, big army. He's got all the weaponry. You don't have that. It, it, none of this makes sense, and so there's doubt there. Now, it, to some degree, he's right to feel that way, right? But listen, take note of this. Walking or living with the first three trends constantly in your life, right? Fear, all talk and no action, and then all kinds of criticism leads to doubt. You doubt yourself. You doubt everything around you, and it starts to fill your brain. It will happen if you're surrounded by that all the time. David would not allow that to happen. Saul was walking by sight and not by faith. That was his trend in his life. He looked at the appearance of things, not the heart. He was concerned about what people thought. And he wanted the image to be what would please other people and that they would be okay with him and he would be popular. That's recorded in the previous chapters in 1 Samuel. In fact, in chapter 15, verse 24, Samuel, after he does what he wasn't supposed to do, he was supposed to annihilate and, be, and destroy everything when he went to battle that God had uh, told him to do, had a mission. And he didn't complete the mission, not fully. And he admitted, he admitted that he, didn't, that he didn't obey and he wanted to please men more than God with his own words in verse 24 of chapter 15. 
And he doubted himself because he neglected to value what God told him to do and God, who God said he was. And he was always had to be brought up by people. And we know how people are. They change. They change. We like to think, I like to think, you might like to think, that you're consistent and you're faithful, and maybe you are. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to question that. But if we look deep in our hearts, we change. And little things set us off or cause us to change our mind about circumstances and even more specifically, people in our lives. Right? And so we change. God doesn't. David knew that. And Saul basically said to David, you know what, you're a little kid, you can't do this. But listen, David was already anointed to be king by Samuel. And, 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 and Saul, what he does, he looks at David's lack of armor and he missed the fact that David had God's anointing. Oh, the anointing of God, the presence of His Spirit, His seal on your life as a child of God. There is nothing like that when God chooses you and anoints you. There is nothing like that. Nothing can stop you. Nothing can keep you down. Listen, Saul should have known that that the anointing of God was on David because in a previous chapter right before this, it says that God allowed this evil spirit to come on Saul. And Saul was even at the point of trying to kill David. But David is playing the instrument. He's playing the harp. He's playing the instrument. And what happens is, because of his playing, he is calmed. Right? The fear goes away. And Saul isn't consumed in his mind. And and suddenly, it's almost like driven out, if you will. And he's calm. He's collected. And there's peace. He should have known there was anointing on David. He saw that. So what does David do? How does he respond to doubt? The same way that you and I should respond to doubt. Well, that circumstance in your life, brother, that's a big one. I don't know, you know, when you think about all the different things involved, I don't know, I mean, God is able, but, and then there's that word, but. If we're realistic, okay, yeah, be realistic, but God's real too, and He's bigger than what's realistic in your life, right? And, you're, and, 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 you're, and there's doubt, and you keep sowing that, and you do that. You know what David does in verse 34 to 36? He gives a testimony. Really? That's going to happen? Yeah, it's going to, because I have a testimony to tell you. Let me tell you about my God. And you know what he does in verse 34 to 36? He says what he says. Saul, with all due respect, you have experience, you got the armor, you're older than I am. Let me tell you something. When I was working for my father, and I'm a shepherd, when the lion came and the bear came and grabbed the lamb, I went to that lion and to that bear, and I ripped that lamb out of its mouth, and I took care of that lion and that bear. With my own hands. How's that for faith? How's that for courage? How's that for bravery? How's that for strength and power? How's that for anointing? He said, there's no way. Let me tell you about my God. Look at what God did in the past. And how about now, Saul? How about now? He will do it now. Because he did it before. It might take a while. It might have taken a long time in the past. But God's going to do it. What lion or lamb has come into your life in the past and you were able by the word of God and by the power of spirit overcome that and take back that which is rightfully yours, ultimately rightfully God's. Think about your past. Romans 8.31, simple phrase. And I know it's unaccompanied, but... But listen to what Paul says. If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? I know there's context, but that phrase stands on its own. That sentence stands on its own. If God is for us, no one can stand against us. Right? If we're His, and we, 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 are, we are all, for whether it's sin, whether it's the enemy, whether it's the circumstances, whether it's doubt, whatever that Goliath is in your life, if God is for you, who can be against you? Lastly, and we're done. There's this trend of resorting to man's methods that I see here. In verse 38. And what happens in verse 38, I'll just share without reading the scripture there in verse 38. Saul comes to David and says, listen, that's fine, but if you're going to go to battle, you have to wear my armor. You have to wear my armor. Do it my way. Let me suggest to you that unless you put this on, it, it's impossible. And there was still doubt that was there with, with, with Saul concerning David. And he wasn't so sure, and he wanted to give him his methods and say, you've got to take this armor, you've got to take this weaponry, this is what you've got to This is the way to go into battle, is what he was telling him. And we see this so often. You know, unfortunately, I grew up in the church, so, and a lot of you did too, but even if you haven't, we see this even in just society and, and civilization in general. We see this so often between generations. But that's not how we used to do it. The principles still are there. They stand, right? You still have to have faith in God. You've got to be righteous. You've got to do things that have faith and trust in God, right? You have to, but, but don't do it that way. Do it this way. Let me show you this is how it has to be. You know why? People are uncomfortable with things when they're not their way. Oh, we don't like that. We don't like that. Or... They want, and I'm not, maybe, I don't know, but maybe people or maybe Saul wants credit for your success so that if you're successful, they could say, he won because he wore my armor. It's not far-fetched. It's true. It happens every day, all the time, and it's, even, and it's, and it's oftentimes very subliminal, but very real. This is one of the things about giving a warrior, your armor, right? If you do, then you're part of the battle. What does David do? How does he respond to man's methods? He responds by simply trusting God and that God made him exactly how he wanted him to be. A shepherd with a sling and a pouch, a staff, his bare hands, that's it. Knowledge, experience already with the lion and the bear and being out in those fields. He's been out there. He knows. And he knows how to use that sling. And he trusts God for what he's given him and for who he's made him. Listen, here's the thing. We need to let go as Christians and as people of the methods and the quote-unquote protection that men or people put on us and that they demand we should have on us. Our protection should be God. And the methods that we should use are God's methods, right? Not man's methods. Yield to God and you'll draw from Him everything that you need. Here's the truth. Here's the formula. Me plus God equals victory. See, you don't believe that. You don't. And I'm being serious. The response wasn't even... You, you, you're, not either, you're not listening and paying attention to me because that's fine. Most of you do that with me. That's okay. I'm kidding. Uh, it's a formula that is true. Me plus God equals victory. Amen. 
But you don't believe that. So you walk around like this half the time. Oh, I'm exhausted and life is so tiring. And it is. And I can't do this. And I got this challenge. And and life is like this. That's how you live your life. No, you do. And what's going on inside of you, with a lot of you, I see on the outside. Oh, man. I know I'm a child of God, but... Oh, the fear, the doubts, all of the criticism. Oh, and then you can't even muster up a testimony to remind yourself of who God is. Me and God equals victory. End of story. But we got to start living that way. And we got to learn from David that no matter what the Goliaths are in our lives or those things that stand before us or stand before the church, trash-talking us and challenging you and daring to call you names that aren't true about you or, or saying you're really not a child of God or you can never win because God isn't even really alive and whatever else goes on in our culture and world, you come back and you go back to all those things that David says. And when it's challenging you, what you do, when you, when you fear, when you hear all the challenges around you in the world that's that's casting dispersions and doubts and fears everything all over you and this criticism and listen be encouraged because if we respond like david did in this camp while they're against the philistines you will come out victorious you will here's how what i'll say i don't know how the victory is going to look like I don't even know when it's going to come. But it will come. It will. And so this morning, when we have these trends, and they're all around us, they're heavy, they're strong, I, I hear, and I, we, we do it all, all the time. Please, look into chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Look at David's life and what goes on here. Take these five trends and go right at them the way David did. Amen? And you'll be victorious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of David. And Lord, this so familiar story that, that we're, most of us are aware of, Lord God, and even can recite all the details that weren't even read or mentioned, but we know them. But God, I pray that we would recognize some of those trends that were happening and, and were dominating in, in the army of God's people in the camp that are so often found in our world and even in the church world, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that we would take David's approach. We would take it to heart, Lord God. We'd be filled with faith, Lord God, and knowing that when you're with us, we will come out victorious. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you bless every single one of my friends, brothers and sisters that's here, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that when the Philistines come, and whatever their names are, God, and they approach them, whether it's in a specific moment while they're at their desk uh, in the workplace, God, or whether they're in school or they're, they're doing a hike or wherever they are driving the car, when that comes into their mind and he taunts and he, he, he disparages and discourages and criticizes, God, I pray that you would fill with all faith and they would rise up and they would declare a testimony that you are a God who has saved, who has delivered, and you're a God who still saves and delivers. And with you, we have the victory. We thank you for it. We praise you, Jesus. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you're the one in Revelation who was once dead, but you are now alive and will live forever. And we thank you and praise you that you live in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Be victorious. Amen.